All right, hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 127 as we're gonna be this morning. If you grab your Bible and turn to Psalm 127, if you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible, grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, take this home as our gift to you. Uh, and, and then you just grab that, and that's your copy of God's Word now. But go to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. If you don't know where Psalms is, it's right in the very middle. If you kind of open your Bible up, you'll probably hit Psalms. And then go to chapter 127. As you're turning there, I just want to give a quick update before we jump into the Word. A, a bit of an update for... A, of what we're doing as a church, how we're doing as a church. We've been talking a lot about this one campaign and what does it look like for us to, to launch out another location in Huntsville and, and where we stand right now, about a third of what we call our committed givers. So we kind of know the number of people who would be committed givers, about a third have put in their pledges. So we've reached about a third of the goal, as you would imagine. And so we've raised in pledges about $1.2 million. That's a pledge. So over the next three years, that's the money that'll come in. We've raised three hundred thousand in hand in cash and so you can imagine 1.2 or three years but the building is happening right now so definitely be praying be praying that, that that money would still keep coming in for that but even in saying that this whole idea of the one campaign I've just been uh, seeing more and more how God's been growing our church uh, recently and and God's been growing and maybe not in the way you would think of, of church growth but but it's still growth and and here's what I mean by that it was just last week someone came for the first time to church and they just showed up and, 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 and someone was praying with them at the end of the service and, and you know, they're just kind of giving a bit of their life story. It's been a, it was a tough story. It was, it was a, a, they're in a, a difficult place and they asked them, hey, why'd you come? What, what, what drew you here? And they said, because I knew that by coming here that you were a church that welcomed everybody. And now that person is, is getting help. They're getting connected. People are grabbing a hold of them so that they can have people coming alongside to do life with them. And I just want to say this, be praying as the work continues as God continues to grow our church. Now, now he, will he grow our church to be the perfect church? No, we're still gonna make mistakes. We're still gonna trip over ourselves a lot of ways. Is he gonna grow us to be the hippest church? Probably not, but he is growing us to be a very messy church, and I love that, that God is bringing more broken, busted up people into our community and, and doing this too for those who are, who are a part of our church community now who, who used to think they weren't broken and busted up because they would hide it in church. God's revealing more hearts, so we walk together towards Christ. And I love that, that God would continue to do that. Be praying though, because here's the thing. Pastor Matt, who's our pastor of biblical soul care, who takes care of our, our counseling ministry, he's raising up more lay counselors. Right now, just this week, I was kind of going through where our staff are and what, what's going on. He right now is seeing 35 people. So with Matt, he's seeing 35 high level cases of brokenness. And, 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 and praise God for that. I love that. And you can imagine that, what that means. And so that, that doesn't include the, the dozens who are, who are connecting with other pastors or, or in their small groups or walking with people. God has, by his grace, been so good in revealing hurts and brokenness that we can press in with the gospel towards healing and hope. But please continue to pray. Please continue to pray. Please continue to look for ways where you can serve, where you can come alongside and go, wow, that's a lot of work for our church. It is, it is. So if, if, if you're not serving, if you're not, if you're not pressing in, then they look for a place where you can say, I wanna be a part of this mission here to see God continue to do what only he can do. All right, enough of that. Well, I wanna jump into Psalm 127. Let me pray for us as we dive in. Lord God, I thank you for your word, your word that transforms and changes us. 
God, I thank you that you're doing a work in our church, Lord, that, that more and more you're, you're growing us as a community of the gospel, a community that, that, that reaches out, a community that, that, that walks alongside of each other. And God, we pray for more of that. And Lord, as you continue to send us out, God, we go trusting that you're doing the work. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know what, Halloween is, uh, is coming up and and so Halloween's that weird time of the year where you can dress up and it's not weird, right? You, you could not walk out in our town dressed up in, in a Superman costume any other time but Halloween, right? Now, those times, the ministry I ran before uh, we launched this church, it was a college ministry, and we thought it'd be kind of funny to, one, May, to, hey, let's dress up in May and go door-to-door through Huntsville trick-or-treating. And you can imagine how that went, right? A, a group of college students and adults knocking on doors. There was one door where the lady, just so confused, she's like, it's Halloween already again? And she ran looking for candy. But most people, most people would either just shut the door, say very colorful words to us, but they're like, you're ridiculous, get out of here right? Because you just don't dress up. But here's the thing. If you're five years old, you can walk anywhere in a Superman costume and people think it's good, right? You're okay. You can walk holding your head high, wearing your cape. You are Superman in the middle of whatever, middle of the summer, walk through the mall. Here you are. I'm Superman. People are like, yeah, you totally are, right? It's okay as a five-year-old. But as an adult, if you wear a cape, if you were walking here this morning in your underoos and a cape, right, it would be weird, I think the older we get, we start to realize we're not superheroes any longer. Yet the older we get, don't we, don't we live like more and more like we are superheroes? Yeah, we're not gonna wear a cape because we know that would look ridiculous. And, and yet, how often do we live our lives like we're the hero of the story? Like we're the ones that are gonna hold it together. We're the ones who are gonna conquer. We're the ones who are gonna make it happen. And what does it do? It leads to us more and more being wore out, burned out, and distressed. In fact, I, I would say it this way in this series on burnout, one thing that we've been seeing over and over again, that apart from God's presence in our lives, apart from God at work in our lives, apart from us living in this active dependence on God, on his spirit doing the work in our lives, apart from him, our lives become pointless and restless and fruitless and we wear ourselves out. And we try to be the superhero. So, so when you look at, at how you do work, Is it different for you at your work because of your faith in Christ? When you look at at what most people would look at for security, when you look at your your finances or or your health or your friendships, does knowing Jesus make a, a difference in how you see security in your life? As you rest in Christ, does it change the way you do family? Does God's sovereign care over top of your life, does it, does it affect your efforts in life? See, because we come to Psalm 127, and, and scholars would call this a wisdom psalm. There, there's no real commandments in here, but as a wisdom psalm, what it does is it shows you the end of something so you know how to live differently in the present. It says, hey, here's what this looks like with wisdom being used. And so it's gonna change the way we live our lives now. And so as we jump into the text, Psalm 127 this morning, you're gonna see so clearly that God lays it out for us here as the psalmist Solomon writes this psalm. And here's what he's saying so clearly, you are not the hero. Let me read it for you. Psalm 127, follow along. If you get your Bibles open, verse one says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Here's the first thing I want us to see from this psalm. You see it in the first couple of verses there. It's this, I'm not the hero of my life. I'm not the hero of my life. All my efforts to, to build and protect and sustain, ultimately they're fruitless without the Lord in them. And that's what he says. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now Solomon's giving us these two pictures of, of what we would call our security, our, our provision. So the house is that place of protection where, where we can go in and be safe. The, the watchman is the person standing on the tower of the wall of the city, staying awake, looking out to see, is the enemy coming? So he's protecting the city. And it says, without the Lord, all this work to persevere, all this work to preserve, all this work to create, he goes, it's pointless, it's vain. Now, what does he mean when he says it's, it's vain? What does he mean when he says that it's pointless? I mean, he can't be saying that our work is pointless. I, mean, I love that first verse. I wish I had that verse when I was a teenager. My dad would say, hey, go mow the lawn. And I, I could have said, dad, unless the Lord mows the lawn, those who mow the lawn mowed in vain, right? That would have been sweet, right? But that's, that's not what the verse is saying, right? He, he can't be saying that, that work itself is pointless. We, we talked about it last week, that, that God gave us work before sin ever came in to mess with creation. So work's not a bad thing. This is Solomon writing this psalm. You read through Proverbs and over and over again, he talks about, hey, don't be a sluggard. Don't be lazy. Work hard at what you do. And so we, we can't see this as, as work itself is what God's condemning. So what's it mean that he says it's, it's vain? I think it's vain. I think it's pointless when we think we're the hero. When we take God out of the equation, when we think it all rests on our shoulders, that, listen, no matter how much we, we put our work into it, no matter how hard our efforts are, we cannot produce a lasting protection. We cannot persevere apart from the Lord, is what Solomon's saying. So he's condemning this idea of, of grasping and reaching and trying to, to hold on and running around to all the things we do to, to preserve, all the things we do to build our lives, all the things we do to create safety and security for our lives, for our souls. He's saying, listen, you can't do that. And how often do we live our lives like we're the heroes? Right? We, we seek out security in so many different ways. Like if, if I just had more money, then life would be safe. If I, if I just had a different family, if, if my life just looked different, if I could act a different way, if I looked a different way, if my schedule was more in control, and we strive and strive and strive until one day we, we just catch ourselves looking in the mirror saying, this is all pointless, no matter how much work we pour in on our own, we can't produce lasting protection or care or provision, listen, apart from the Lord. We can work so hard at it, but apart from the Lord. And I thought of it this way. I mean, Christmas is coming up. And, and as a kid, one thing I loved about Christmas were the TV Christmas specials that came on. Remember those cartoons that would come on? They only came on at Christmas, right? And they were just like super lame as I look back at them now. But man, they're so good, right? The, the claymation ones. And one of my favorite ones was, right, the Magical Snowman, okay? 
If you're a millennial, I'm not talking about Olaf, all right? He is not the, the king of snowmen, right? It was Frosty the snowman. And what happened, right? Kids built the snowman. They put the hat on him and he comes to life. And I mean, I thought as a kid, how cool would it be if I could build a snowman and, and then he became my friend? Like that'd be great. Actually saying that sounds so sad, right? Pastor Kai was a weird, lonely kid. He, he needed a snowman for his friends. But come on, wouldn't that be just amazing, right? That you could build this snowman and then he would come alive. And, and listen, I could build a snowman and I, I could work so hard to build the perfect snowman. I, I could work so hard in protecting this snowman and say, I'm gonna keep this snowman forever, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop, make sure my brothers don't come and knock it down. I'll protect it. I'm gonna keep my dog away so it doesn't become a yellow snowman. I'm going to do everything I can to protect this snowman. But listen, listen, when the sun comes out, when spring starts to, starts to come, there's nothing I can do to preserve that snowman. And so, listen, we're called to work hard. We're called to watch well. But if we think ultimately we're the ones holding it all together, if we ultimately think that, think that we're the, the superheroes in this, it's, it's pointless, it's vain. And it, listen, it's wearing us out. It's causing us to burn out. It's causing us to tire out. In fact, I would say this. Here's the question that we need to ask this morning is, is where in my life am I wearing the cape? Like, where am I thinking that that, 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 that thing, that, that situation, that, that relationship, that health, that, that, that area in my life, it, it really ultimately rests on me. I'm the one that's going to preserve it. I'm the one that's going to protect. I'm the one that will provide. You know, another way you could ask it is this, where am I most stressed? Listen, our, our stress, I've said this before, it's the smoke that rises up that, that's, that's giving us indication there's a fire somewhere. There's, there's a fire in our heart, an area in our heart that we have not surrendered to the Lord. We're, we're grasping after other things where, where we're thinking we're the superhero of the day and where we feel it all rests on us and, and that fire burns, the smoke of stress is seen. So we have to start asking ourselves, well, well what am I resting on? Maybe ask ourselves, where is my identity? Where do I think my security is? That's a hard question to answer for yourself. Hey, where's my identity? Maybe you need to grab someone who's close to you and say, hey, you look at my life. Where, where do you think my identity lies? And grab a spouse, grab, grab a good friend. I mean, if you have like junior highs in your house as kids, ask them. They have not been blessed with a filter yet. They'll just tell you right out, right? Where's my identity? Do you believe that your, your work or your home will fall apart if, if you're not the one holding it together? Do, do you believe your kids will fall apart if you're not the one holding them up? Do you ever catch yourself saying or thinking, if I wasn't here, if I wasn't holding on to this, this whole thing would fall apart? Do, do you find your life begin to be more characterized by, by frustration or by anxiousness? And so again, my question is this, where do we need to take the cape off this morning? Where do we need to turn from striving to, to make things happen in the flesh and our own strength? And where do we need to start living our life with this active dependence on God? Now notice I said it's, it's an active dependence. It's, it's not, hey, stop worrying and striving and just kick back. Let go and let God, man. He'll take care of it. 
No, I think there's, there's something active that we have to do because I, I think that the action of trusting in God at times can be harder than the effort we're putting in ourselves. Because in trust, what do we have to do? We have to repent. We have to let go of that thing that we've been hoping and trusting and resting in. We have to let go of what we would call idols, those false saviors. We think, this is my hope, this is my strength, and we have to let go of those those places where we find our identity and our security and our hope apart from Christ. And it's hard to let go of those things. Look at verse two, where he says, it's, it's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Can, can you, you just hear the anxiety there? Can you hear the stress there? The, the insecurity there that, that I gotta get up earlier, I gotta stay up later, I lay awake at night worrying about all these things and, and are they gonna get done? Will I be able to, to accomplish this? And what are we doing? We're, we're getting up early, we're staying up late, we're, we're laying uh, awake in worry. Why? Because we forget who's on our side. We forget the Lord says, I'm the one at work here. I kind of think of it this way. It's, it's like when you have a little kid and you, you first take them into water. I remember taking my daughters the first time into a pool or into a lake. And what do they do? They're holding on for dear life, right? And as you get deeper in, they grab a hold tighter. What are they doing? They're holding on thinking, I'm the one holding my dad's neck. And if I let go, man, I'm, I'm done for. They, they, they forget. They, they don't realize that they don't have the strength to do it anyway. But it's, it's their dad that's holding them. And yet how often as Christians do we live our lives forgetting that it's the Lord that's holding us? We, we grab a hold tightly. How, how often as Christians do we live as functional atheists? I mean, how often do we go to bed at night when our worries as if God didn't exist? As if God wasn't the one who was actually holding us? Now, in saying all this, here's the thing about that, that smoke of anxiousness. It can actually be, be part of God's grace in our lives because what it is, it's this warning for sure that something's not right, but it's also this invitation where God's saying, hey, listen, don't put your hope in these other places. Because look what it says in verse two. It says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And we're, when we're feeling that, that insecurity, when we're feeling that anxiousness, God's, God's saying, hey, listen, I've got a better way for you. You can escape those false beliefs, those false hopes you have. And you can find true rest. And listen, the more we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more we understand that, that he lived the perfect life that we don't have to live. He died in our place, was risen again on the third day to conquer sin and Satan and ourselves. And he, he brings our hope. The, the more we rest in that, the more it's the end to our insecurity. I mean, think about the insecurities we battle with, the, the insecurity of, of, yeah, but my sin's too great. I've sinned too much. And Yet we know that in Christ, we have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins. The insecurity of, of feeling alone, like, like an orphan or a stranger or an alien, but in Christ, we've been adopted by God as his children. We're now members of his household. We're heirs of all things in Christ. Maybe the insecurity of, of feeling like a failure 
But to understand the scripture says that Jesus is not gonna waste any of your pain, any of your hurts, that, that in him almost incredibly every failure, he can even turn to work for our ultimate good and his glory. Maybe you have the insecurity of feeling inadequate where you, it, it's obvious that you can't wear the cape of the hero in your life. Great to know that in the gospel that, that God chose the weak and the foolish things. God chose us when we were weak, that he, he promises his grace is sufficient for us, that, that so much so that when we lean on him in our weakness, we can boast all the more in his strength. Or maybe the, the insecurity you carry of, of feeling insignificant or, or unimportant, but to, to know that in Christ we were chosen by God. That, that if you're in Christ, that right now he's given each one of you a unique place, a function in the body we call the church. And listen, if none of those promises are, are satisfying for you, if, if you still feel this, this desire, this need, no, I need people's approval. If, if you find criticism or rejection completely devastating, if, if, if you see this pattern of regularly disobeying Christ because you're trying to escape or you're, or you're trying to, to get attention, if, if you're caught in habitual sin or, or addictions that, that you seek relief from your fears, then listen, the anxiety that's driving that, it's telling you you've got an idol problem a false God that needs to be released, a, a sin that so easily entangles that you, you need to lay aside. And so again, this morning I would ask this, where do you need to turn from striving in your own strength to living with an active dependence on the Lord? Because we're not the hero of our life. We don't need to be. The psalmist goes on and he, he drills down even more specifically. And, and here's our second point this morning. As the psalmist lays out in the next few verses, I'm not the hero of my life. I'm also not the hero of my family. I'm not the hero of my family. Verse three, he says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a quiver, in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Now, now he goes from the general of building a life, and now he says, well, well, the specifics of family, that when you're raising your family, listen, you're not the hero. Again, it's all about God. It doesn't rise and fall on you as a parent unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city. So here's the thing. It's not kick back and just relax and just you know, do whatever you need to do and just don't worry about your kids because God's got them. No, 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 no. Unless the Lord builds the house. We need the heart and the mind of the Lord. So it's not, hey, don't worry about it. Don't, st don't strive at it anymore. Don't worry about your parenting. But it is this, stop putting the weight on your shoulders. Stop bearing the whole weight of, of how your family is gonna pursue the Lord. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop, stop having your life rise and fall on the successes or failures of your kids. Press in with hard work to know the Lord, to, to recognize, I need God here. 
Let me talk to dads real quick. I would say this, when you look through most parenting books and you see what's being offered, most parenting books, it feels like they're written to women. They're written to moms. But I would say this as dads, man, we gotta grab those too. We gotta be active in, in discipling and in raising our kids. Because here's the thing, man, as dads, we can read up, study up, be, be all ready to go for our work and pour out so much energy for, for where God's called us into work. Or we can read up and study up on our toys too, right? And know those so well. But what about our kids? I mean, the psalmist here, he, he, he's talking about the Lord building the house, about us building the house with the Lord. Obviously, he's talking more about than just, hey, as a dad, you need to provide food and shelter. I mean, I got mice in my attic that do that for their, for their, for their kids, right? Maybe we could raise the bar a little higher than just food and shelter, but what's it look like for us to, to care for these gifts that God's entrusted us with? And here's what I love, though. You can hear that as parents as, okay, there's a weight. I need to press into this with the Lord, but there's a weight. I love that we're not called to this alone. Look at what it says at the beginning of the psalm. It says, a song of ascents. What does that mean? It means that, that this is a psalm that they would sing as a, as a community as they're on their way to the temple, as they're ascending to the temple. And so they would gather together as this church community and they were walking, basically going to church. And as they're going to church, they're singing this song. So this is not just for parents. This is like single people. This is married people without kids. These are grandparents. Everybody walking to church, singing this song. And why would that be? I think this, I think that God has, has two main greenhouses where he grows up our kids. The, the first greenhouse is our houses, our homes, that, that within the family, God's using that to grow our kids in the gospel. But I think there's another greenhouse, and that's the church. That's the, the community of God that comes around us. Now, obviously, the, the primary place is our home. That's where, that's where our kids see and hear the gospel. And, and it starts with us being in the word as families. I mean, Deuteronomy chapter six says that as you go about your day, as you rise up, as you walk through your day, teach these things I've commanded you. And so as families, as parents, we wanna teach our kids God's word. And it, just as we face life, it doesn't have to be, my kids are gonna go through a, a Bible study and every day we're gonna, we're gonna no, sometimes it's just as you're seeing life happen and you're, you're facing disappointment where you're bringing God's word into that into what forgiveness looks like, into what pain is, into what it is to see God's glory. Because listen, as parents, we do so much for our kids. You, you, can, you can pour out to see them clothed and fed and sheltered and nurtured and provided for and guided and, and prepared for adulthood. But of all those things we do as parents, one of the greatest, one of the most important things we can do is to show our kids the glory of God, is to help them understand what the gospel is all about. Now here's the thing, it's not just talking about the gospel, though in our homes, we want our kids to see the gospel at work too, to see it lived out. It doesn't matter how many sermons you could bring your kids and say, sit and listen to this sermon. You can listen to sermon after sermon after sermon, but if they go home and they never see it lived out in the home, I mean, what do they say, that, that kids see more than they hear? I mean, think about this sobering thought. I've been thinking about this all week, that, that my girls will, will learn to believe the gospel less with what I preach and talk about and more with how I treat Libby, my wife. How I treat them as my kids. How I treat others around me. How I deal with life. And they're watching constantly saying, is the gospel real? 
Do they see unconditional love? Do they see grace and faithfulness? If you're a parent, what what are your kids learning about the gospel from your life? Now, here's the thing. That can feel overwhelming. You start to think about that, but, but we're talking about the gospel, so we're not just teaching our kids about what it looks like to follow Christ. We also, as parents, are showing them what sin's about. It's why I apologize to my kids a lot. Why? Because, because my kids don't need to see a perfect dad. They need to see an amazing Savior. Because, because listen, our kids are already battling with the knowledge they already have that, man, I can barely do this. I can't do this. They, they, they don't want to be crushed by this perfect parent. They want to be seeing that, that, hey, even my parents struggle. And it's more important they see Jesus as our Savior than they admire our righteousness In fact, I heard someone say it this way, that a perfect example will crush our kids, but a tender savior will save them. There's that moment where we have to come even to our kids and say, hey, you saw me do this, I'm sorry. I need Jesus too. Now, maybe you look at your family and you're like, okay, I get all that, but but if if my family is supposed to be this greenhouse, man, my, my greenhouse is a train wreck. And maybe you, you kind of cruise through Facebook. We've talked about this before, how you, you go through Facebook and you see other people's families and you're like, whoa, mine doesn't look like that. Or you see these pictures of like, like these family photos, right? They're just like, just fell right off of a Pinterest site. And you're like, seriously? Here's why, right? We know this, that that's not real, right? No one's posting the, the family photo of the, on the way to the family photo shoot where they're screaming and yelling and crying and double barrel snot coming out, right? All that, Right? We're not posting those, but here's the thing. I would say this. Rather than looking to Facebook for your example of family, let's look in God's word. I mean, what do we see in scripture? I would say this. Almost all of the great families of scripture are completely screwed up. You can't even make it through half of the book of Genesis before you're you're into murder and, and lying and adultery and brokenness and anger and sin. Listen, listen, God seems to choose broken, messed up families to write his story of grace. He does not bring the gospel out through perfect families in scripture. Why? Why? Because I think he brings it out of brokenness because it makes a more beautiful story for sure. What's the story of God's grace in your family? I would say this lastly before we jump into the other greenhouse. It's this, that the the gospel's lived out in relationship. I think in our culture today that our our kids are are experience rich but relationship poor. Right, that as, as, as a culture, we wanna make sure that our kids have every opportunity. So we'll get them in, in every event, every sport, everything they can do. And yet, yet what they really are looking for is, man, I just want you to know my heart. What's it look like to value relationship in your homes? To have family meals, to have good conversation, to have have time in the word together, to to spend time with your kids, to to take your kids on dates and just hang out with them because they they need parents more than they need a coach, more than they need a teacher, more than they need a new skill or an activity. What's it look like to get together, to get in the word together? Now, I get it. I say that as a pastor, and there's kind of this impression that, oh, yeah, you're the pastor. I know how your family devotions go. You open up the Word, and your kids all sit in a nice semicircle with their notebooks and pens, like, Dad, preach some more. We just love it when you preach. It doesn't happen like that in my home. I don't know what it's like in your home, all right? But, but man, one, it's a struggle to make it regular, 
Okay, like we're missing it all the time. And, and when it happens, there are times that it will not end with a worship song and prayer. It'll end with people fighting and crying, right? But, but here's what we're doing. We just want to try. We want to keep opening up God's word and say, let's get into the word. We want to pray. It doesn't always happen in those structured times, though. It's looking for those, those opportunities to say, hey, why don't we pray about that? And again, they don't have to be these long, drawn out, mm, I don't know, I'm not a really good pray person. I, I don't. It's just, hey, here's something coming up in our life. Hey, why don't we pray together? But those relationships we have with our kids, I think we, we can also see that there's an importance of relationship outside of our families as well because the one greenhouse is our home. The other greenhouse God uses is our church, is this community right here. And I believe this with all my heart. I believe that kids need a second family. I think they need mentors outside of the home. I think they need to be involved in a community where, where they can see the gospel lived out in other people's lives, where people, other people can speak the gospel into their lives. But it seems like so often as I, as I, I look even at our family schedule, I'm like, man, are, are my kids more shaped and formed in the places they go, in the school they're at, and, and we only visit church on weekends? I mean, make sure that, that your kids' community is, is here and then you send them out, like Scripture says here, as arrows into their schools, into their culture. But their community is in your family. Their community is here in the church. And I, mean, I love that, that my daughters are growing up in a place where there are other godly men and women that can speak into their lives, where they have other people they can look to and say, hey, what's this look like lived out? That those moments when, when I, as a parent, lose my voice, do you ever have that happen where you've said something over and over and over and over again and someone else comes along and they say it to your kid and they're like, oh, that's brilliant. Like, what? I've been saying that for a week, right? right? But isn't that great that we can have that? More voices pointing them to the gospel. Blood might be thicker than water, but the Spirit's thicker than both. And it says that in heaven, we won't be married in heaven, right? So no one's gonna call me dad in heaven, but, but everyone's gonna call me brother. And that we've got this community right here, right now. Listen, I love hearing stories. There's a group of guys in our church right here, a group of dads who go every year on a father-son canoe trip and they, they all go out and what do they do? They sit around the campfire and each dad is, they, they speak to everybody's kids. Hey, here's what God's doing. Let me, let me open up God's word for you. And the, their sons get to hear from other dads. I love that. What community are your kids growing up in? Proverbs 13, 20 says this, as the one who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion, of, a companion of fools will be destroyed. We'd say it this way, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Listen, our, our kids will be a visitor somewhere and part of a community somewhere else. Where are you growing their community? As we talk about this passage here, I just, just a side note here. It says in verse five, blesses the man who fills his quiver. You know what a quiver is, right? It's that place where arrows are kept. And so kids are this picture of an arrow and you have this quiver full of arrows. And I would say this, there's, there's no right size family. Right? It's not like God says, I'm gonna bless this many kids or I'm gonna bless a family that, that has a quiver this size. And maybe you're in a stage of life right now where you don't have kids. Or maybe you're single. Maybe you're married, you don't have kids yet. Maybe, maybe, maybe. and this, this kind of stuff is hard. When you hear about quivers, you're like, man, we're trying. But right now, God hasn't blessed us with kids yet. 
But I would say this, while you're waiting for that time to have kids, or if you don't have kids, if, you, if you're a grandparent and your kids are now far away, I would say this, scripturally, you have a family here too. That you have kids here. As you serve in Harvest Kids, as you serve in our junior high or our senior high ministry, as you come alongside others in your small group and, and you come alongside other parents and you come alongside other kids, I don't mean this to sound trite. It's so true. Again, blood may be thicker than water, but the spirit's thicker than both, that this is a family we do life together with. As you look at the psalm here, what does it say when it talks about kids? Look at verse four. Here, here's how it describes your kids. It says this, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. This idea that they're, they're arrows that are being sent out, that they're not ours to hold on to and keep. No, no, this is my kid. I, I don't want my kid. To, I, they're they're going to be an arrow on the wall. They're a display arrow. I don't want them used, right? That's not, that's not biblical. In fact, I love the story of Jim Elliott. He, he was a guy who had a, a great job all lined up, a promising career in the States, and he decided that he's going to be a missionary to South America. And he said to his parents when he made the decision, he said this, he said, I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. But remember how the psalmist described children? He said there was a, a heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who had a quiver full of them. And what's a quiver full of arrows? Four. What are the arrows to do, be used for but to shoot? And so with strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrow fly all of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. I mean, why did God give you kids? He gave you kids to let them go. Arrows don't work if you hold on to them. And, and I think so often as parents, man, I get this, some days I feel way more concerned about the safety, the security. Is my arrow gonna be safe? Can I, can I just keep it so it doesn't have to go too far? And, and, and I'm more concerned about that than what God may have for them. I mean, I've been praying a lot. Will I be okay for that day when, when maybe one of my daughters comes and says, hey, dad, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna finish, finish what, what you thought I was gonna do. I'm not gonna go into this career, but, but pray for me because I think God's calling me to the slums of Brazil. I mean, what will that be like? Will I, will I be okay with that? The ultimate mission as parents is not to protect our children from all harm, not to hide them away from the world, not to, not to keep them all safe. It's, it's to mobilize them for the mission of God. That, that's the whole point of why we have kids. And so, so as you look at your family life, you look at, at what you prioritize, what you value in your family, what would your kids say about, about the gospel and, and what's valued in your family life? I've heard it said this way, that when, when kids quit following God, when they hit college or university, it doesn't happen in the freshman year. It happens in grade six by the priorities that we set, by the values we live out as families, when, when, when we prioritize everything but the kingdom of God. Listen, one of the greatest ways for our kids to experience the beauty of the gospel is to be part of the mission, to see God at work, to see the story of the gospel lived out that they can be a part of. I mean, I've told you this before. I grew up in church, and so I grew up not a big fan of church. I grew up hating church. To me, it was just religion. 
It was for people that, that didn't seem to have joy at all. It wasn't like Jesus had changed them at all. I couldn't see any difference in what was going on. And so, so I didn't have a, a, a heart for church. I definitely didn't have a heart for the Lord. And I, I didn't want to be a part of that story. If that's the story of the gospel, that's not the story I wanted as a young person. And it wasn't until college where, where there was a mission trip going on. And I thought it'd be great to be part of this mission trip. And so I, I joined up on this mission trip to Mexico. And it's there that I began to see the gospel lived out. It's there that I saw the gospel at work. It's there that I saw lives being transformed. It's there that I was included in the mission. And I was actually seeing God at work. And I saw a better story of the gospel. My heart came alive in that. So what story are we telling our kids it's got to be so much more than, than showing up late for church and, and jetting out early. It's got to be so much more than just doing the check mark of, hey, kids, we have to go to church. Let's do this, and then let's go home. What a horrible story for our kids to have to live out. That's not the story of the gospel. We need to begin to say, man, how do we live this out together? How do we serve together? How do we talk about this more? I mean, I love the idea of our youth serving in our church and I mean more than just Youth Takeover Sunday. I love Youth Takeover Sunday when they, they, they're doing all the serving. They're on the worship. I love that. But, but there's a part of that that's kind of lame. Like, like that's kind of the, hey, come see the, the kids and they're going to be the dog and pony show for the day. No, no, no. Shouldn't our youth just be like involved? Shouldn't we as parents go, hey, why aren't you serving as an usher? Hey, you could serve in Harvest Kids. Hey, why don't you see if you could get on the worship team? Why don't you be a part of God's mission here in our church? What's it look like for us to open up our homes to, to, to show hospitality, to bring people in so that our, our kids can see hospitality at work? So, so bringing people in and, and having them share testimonies and that our kids see this, these testimonies of God's grace. And I love that our youth ministry this year has a, a focus on mission locally. What's it look like for them to serve in our communities globally? What's it look like for us to send out youth teams on mission? I've heard it said that a church is always one generation away from extinction. I mean, think about it. But I also believe this, that we're one generation from seeing an unbelievable revival. Are you praying that God would take your kids and use them for his glory and for his kingdom? Are you, are you open-handed enough? You say, Lord, these are yours God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do in their hearts and lives as you, by faith and by prayer, pull back that bow and let the arrow fly. Now, let me close with this. And all this about family and all this about our lives, remember this. Remember, remember, you're not the hero of your family. I mean, how is it that the psalmist can say that the Lord gives his beloved sleep? Wait a minute, if I'm sleeping, who's watching the city? If I'm sleeping, who's building the house? It's clear the, the Lord is. I mean, all through this series, here's what we've been seeing. The, the beauty of the fact that, that through sleep, that, that we can be wore out. That we get to that place where we recognize, you know what? I can't do this. I'm not the hero on this. I can't do this on my own. I have to sleep. I have to trust God. You're the one at work. And so we can rest, we can Sabbath, we can sleep, we can trust that the Lord's at work. And Solomon ends off by saying that, verse five, blessed is a man 
who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And what's he talking about here? It, what happens is you, you would go to the gate of the city and that's where you'd have disputes. That's where, where arguments or legal stuff would happen at the gate. And he, he's saying that, that his hope is in that he has a full quiver of sons. And that when he goes to the gate and someone's like, yo, what's up, Solomon? I got something I need to talk to you about. He's like, okay, boys, come on out. And he's got all these big sons that are gonna protect him. But listen, we can have a confidence that our enemies won't crush us. We have a confidence so much greater than Solomon saying a full quiver brings him a confidence. We have a confidence because God did something that Solomon never could do. Jesus Christ let his enemies overcome him at the gate. When Jesus faced the cross, he said to his, his disciples, I could call down legions, thousands of angels to rescue me, to save me. He knew he had uh, allies that could protect him at the gate when the enemy was coming after him. But instead of using that power to save himself, he let the arrow pierce him. Instead of using his hands to fling the arrows at his enemies, he let his enemy pierce his hands. And he was put to shame at the gate in the public place so that you and I, listen, when we put our hope in him, when we stop wrestling for ourselves, when we stop going to, to our own way of, of, of living, of, of doing life, of finding hope, when we say, no, I find my hope in you, Jesus, when we come to that place, he was put to shame so that we could be brought to a place of honor. He was crushed by his enemies so we could face our enemies and know that they now no longer have any power. The only way you'll have the confidence to, to face your enemies at the gate is, is not by filling your quiver. It's not by striving. It's not by grasping at other things. It's by following the God who emptied his quiver, following the God who was crushed for you. As the worst team comes up, I mean, can we just praise God that he is a far better hero? Listen, as a parent, you don't have to wear the cape you just need to point your kids to the real hero. As a brother or sister here in the church, as you serve each other, you don't have to wear the cape and be the hero of this church. You just need to point people to the real hero. As we look to the world and the mission God's called us to, we don't need to be the hero. We just need to point people to the real hero. Because here's the reality. We are all just broken, busted up people pointing other broken, busted up people to the place where there's hope. We're each beggars pointing other beggars to the one who has bread. And so this morning, let me ask again, where are you anxious and troubled? Where in your life, maybe in your family, where are you the most stressed? I mean, where is it today where you have to just take the cape off and actively trust the Lord today? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much that you are our hope. I thank you, Lord God, that, that you've provided for us a solid rock to stand on. And God, even this morning, as, as the, the thought of the anxiousness, as the thought of the insecurity, Lord, uh, of the thought of, of these places we stand that don't hold us up, God, and as, as we see those start to fall, thank you for your grace that draws us back to the solid rock on which we stand that brings us back to the truth of the gospel 
that says we're broken, we were lost, we were alone, we were naked, we were blind. And yet through your sacrifice, through the cross, we've been made new. We've been made whole. That we've been given the strength of your spirit. That we can rest at your feet. We can rest under your care. We can pursue your word and your presence and know that when you're with us, when we're resting in you, the house is built and the city is protected. Lord God, would you draw our hearts? Would you help us again see today where the solid rock is that we can stand? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.